Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, folks, I am super excited to tell you a bit about today's new sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, MMC hosts different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Bill Frizzell, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Julian Lodge, Mark Rabot, Wayne Krantz, O'Teal Burbridge, the Milk Carton Kids, and so many more. At an event like Alternative Guitar Summit Camp happening this August, you can expect in-depth workshops with guitar masters, once-in-a-lifetime performances, the opportunity to play alongside your favorite musicians, and a lot of fun. You'll leave this event packed full of wisdom and with a whole community of musicians to create with. This all-inclusive week in the Catskills Mountains of upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available. Spots are extremely limited. So visit www.alternativeguitarsummitcamp.com moods to learn more. Osiris. Moods and Modes is presented by Osiris Media and made possible thanks to our Patreon community. To support the podcast directly, go to patreon.com slash Alex Skolnick. From Brooklyn, New York, this is Moods and Modes. I'm your host, Alex Skolnick. I'm probably best known as a professional guitarist. I'm also a writer, a photographer, and someone who occasionally gets told to keep his opinions to himself on Twitter. This podcast will involve music and guitar, but it may take us to some unexpected places as well. So, thank you for joining me, and let's do this. and modes episode 39 this is alex hello everybody welcome to borrowed music volume two way back in september of 2021 back on episode 20 
we did the very first Borrowed Music episode, which has since gotten so much positive feedback and some cool suggestions to run with that we just had to do a follow-up. Now, full disclosure, I'm probably not going to go into as much detail as I did on the original Borrowed Music where I took out the guitar and went into full-scale analyzations of different songs and discussed the music theory. This is going to be more of a lightning round. That's my intention anyway. I'm in the midst of travel. I'm actually coming to you from the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm off to L.A. next, then back to New York. That will be followed by a flight to Peru and a trip all over Latin America to be discussed later. So in the interest of time, I'm going to skip housekeeping altogether, try to keep my commentary to a minimum. Good luck with that, I know. And uh, let's just get right into it. So obviously many styles of music will be covered in this episode. So why did I kick things off with such a mainstream pop song? Well, for one thing, I wanted to start with something current. For another, this is one where I immediately noticed a similarity to another song. And given the popularity of this track, I'm kind of shocked that nobody's brought it up. I'm not trying to cause trouble. I don't think musicians should be sued for this type of thing. I'll get into that a little bit more soon. But I do think it should be called out. And I'm just in disbelief, actually, how similar it is. So first, uh, the song you heard is by Harry Styles, if you don't already know that. So that song uh, came out about a year ago. It's called As It Was, released in April of 2022, since then becoming the best-selling single in the UK last year. And in the United States, it spent 15 weeks at the top of the Billboard Hot 100, becoming the longest-running U.S. number one song by an act from the U.K., in fact, uh, the fourth longest running number one song in the history of the Billboard charts. Just to give you an example of the popularity of that song. On top of that, the critical acclaim of this tune has matched its mass appeal. Five stars in The Guardian, five stars in New Musical Express, raves by Variety, Rolling Stone, and so much more. Yet I heard it and I thought, isn't this Take On Me by AHA, which came out in the 80s? Let's hear the same clip we kicked off with, as it was by Harry Styles, followed by Take On Me by AHA. I rest my case. Now, to my knowledge, there's been no legal action surrounding the similarity between these two songs. And that's just fine. I don't think there should be. However, I see nothing wrong with acknowledging that you borrowed from another song. And in some cases, such as Stay With Me by Sam Smith and Won't Back Down by Tom Petty, which we discussed on episode 20, if it can be worked out amicably and there's a credit sharing arrangement, so much the better. Now, before we get into classic examples that I know you're going to get a kick out of, let's hear one more current example in which there is legal action surrounding it. Here is Ed Sheeran's Thinking Out Loud, followed by Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye. Darling, I will be loving you
I mean, come on. Not only is it the exact same feel, the exact same tempo, but he's singing on top of it in the exact same style as Marvin Gaye. And there is a lawsuit going on pertaining to this as we speak this month of April 2023. Now, unlike the previous lawsuit surrounding a classic Marvin Gaye song being filed against more recent artists, in that case, it was Pharrell and uh, Robin Thicke, this time, the plaintiffs are not related to Marvin Gaye, but rather his co-writer of Let's Get It On, Ed Townsend. And they have a very formidable attorney. You have to respect this guy, the civil rights attorney, Benjamin Crump. You've probably seen him on TV representing families of victims of police brutality, most notably George Floyd. Now, it'll be interesting to see how this turns out. Again, this is a slippery slope. I'm not a believer in these massive lawsuits, but I have no problem with some kind of fair, arbitrated credit sharing. And I think it is justified in this case. But again, an arbitrated credit sharing agreement against future earnings is very different from having to pay massive legal compensation for damages. So while I'm not a believer in suing, I have no problem with shaming. <laughs> and uh, from what I'm hearing... And I've heard that Ed Sheeran is a nice guy. I don't mean to single him out. But his defense has been pretty weak so far. He claims to have had no idea. It's a common chord progression. It's been used so many times. That's true. Here's an example of a song that came out before Let's Get It On, Mercy, 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 written by the keyboardist Joe Zawinul when he was the pianist for jazz saxophonist Cannonball Adderley. Here's a quick clip of Cannonball Adderley live in the mid-60s. Pay special attention to the bass line. Now, once again, here's Marvin Gaye, Let's Get It On, which came out in 1973. Did Marvin Gaye borrow from Cannonball Adderley? It's possible that Cannonball Adderley album was a hit, especially for a jazz musician, and it influenced many people. It crossed over. And coincidentally, Marvin Gaye also came out with a song called Mercy, Mercy Me. Either way, the fact that Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On follows the same bass note progression as Mercy, Mercy, Mercy isn't that obvious because he's changing the accent of the beats. The groove is slightly different. The textures are different. The vocals are unique. On the other hand, when you compare Thinking Out Loud by Ed Sheeran to Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye, the similarities are just too obvious. Again, I'm not saying this warrants legal damages or compensation, but perhaps some kind of credit sharing agreement, or at the very least, acknowledge it, man. Come on. So in this case, I may not support Ed Sheeran being sued, but I have no problem with him being shamed. All right, so now that we got a couple current examples out of the way, let's move on to some classics. Let me play you two different pieces right now that sound like they could be the same piece. Oh, the last time we saw you, you look so much older. Your famous blue raincoat was torn at the shoulder. But I have grown older, and you have grown colder, and nothing is very much fun. 
anymore. Busted. <laughs> I don't care who you are. I will find you. Even if you're Roger Waters singing on Pink Floyd's The Wall in 1979. Now, clearly the vocal tone, the rhyme scheme, and the overall mood is greatly influenced by a song called Famous Blue Raincoat by Leonard Cohen in the early 70s. Now, I only discovered that Leonard Cohen song fairly recently. Credit to Maddie S.J., who played it for me, thinking I'd like the guitar in it, which I do. And I hadn't heard his earlier work. I'd never heard Leonard Cohen growing up, only uh, more recently when the documentary about him came out. Now, interestingly, that song seems to be making a resurgence thanks to the current season of Succession. This is a total coincidence, but in episode two, where Connor drags his siblings to a karaoke lounge and sings a depressing song. <laughs> That's the song he sings, Famous Blue Raincoat by Leonard Cohen. Now, I have to give some slack to Roger Waters and the rest of Pink Floyd because they are usually a source. Everybody borrows from them. You don't think about them borrowing, which underscores a point I believe I made on episode 20, which is that borrowing music is a little bit like that certain topic that doesn't get named on that one episode of Seinfeld, something everybody does, not everybody admits to. Now, I have to admit that The Wall is the first time I realized that Pink Floyd falls into this category as well. On episode 20, we discussed Here Comes the Flood by Peter Gabriel, which was clearly the inspiration behind the back half of Comfortably Numb. That was confirmed by Bob Ezrin, who produced The Wall for Pink Floyd. We also discussed examples of Pink Floyd being directly borrowed from, such as this. So that Metallica riff is pretty obvious. It can also be argued that One and Sanitarium are also spun off of that same riff. Now, here's a less obvious one. Here is Phantom of the Opera, the title track of the musical by Andrew Lloyd Webber, followed by Echoes by Pink Floyd. So composer Andrew Lloyd Webber clearly borrowed from that Pink Floyd track, which is from 1967, as his musical Phantom of the Opera didn't open until 1986. Now let's do the reverse. We'll place the earlier song first, starting with the same old song by The Four Tops, which came out in the early 60s, followed by Under My Thumb by The Rolling Stones, which came out a few years later. Now, this next one is so obvious, I'm pretty sure it must have been done in tribute. Ricky Don't Lose That Number, one of the biggest hits by Steely Dan, followed by iconic keyboardist in the jazz world, Horace Silver's Song for My Father.
Now here's a really interesting one. Listen to the vocal melody of each of these tracks. The first is a standard from Brazil called Manha the Carnival, and it's sung by Astrid Gilberto. She's the voice on the original version of The Girl from Ipanema, which launched the bossa nova craze in the 60s. It's followed by the massive dance funk hit Fantasy by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Again, pay special attention to the vocal melody of each. Next up, we have an equally unpredictable pairing from the world of rock and roll. The first group is symbolic of the 1990s and considered most responsible for that decade's grunge movement. Of course, I'm talking about Nirvana. Now, as much as Nirvana was known for its high-intensity punk-influenced sound, not to mention Kurt Cobain's introspective lyrics and being the band that first made us aware of Dave Grohl, who back then was just a great drummer, today is known as a multi-instrumentalist, and no less than a pop culture icon. The band was equally known for being rebellious against excess, whether it was the lifestyle excesses of the decades that came before, the 80s and the 70s, or overindulgence as far as music. Therefore, the last band you would ever expect them to be influenced by would be a prog rock group from the 70s called Yes!, But take a listen. Here's the third movement of Yes's three-part suite, Starship Trooper, called The Worm, W-U-R-M. So obviously that is In Bloom from Nevermind, Nirvana's breakthrough album. And I think when you put these parts back to back, it's pretty undeniable. Same key, same tempo, same progression, same melody. Busted. (laughs) But I give these guys credit. They hit the influence really well. For one thing, that's the second half of the verse. The first half, if you'll recall... Kurt sings a slightly different vocal melody and his guitar drops out. So it sounds even less like the yes part. And uh, the chorus goes to a different place entirely. And the beginning of the song is a little more like the chorus, which is very hard driving. So you just would not think to look for that. Also, you have to think about the fact that they borrowed from the third movement of a prog rock suite, like the last thing anybody would expect. In other words, uh, a lot of work went into it. They hid their borrowing very well. They did not just phone it in, unlike some. Ed Sheeran.
Okay, that one's a little less direct, but I think there's something there. I've always thought there was a connection between those two parts. Obviously, the first one was Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana, and the second one was Godzilla by Blue Oyster Cult. Now, here's another one. I think the influence is pretty obvious when you hear these two parts back to back, but overall, the band did a really good job hiding the influence in the song. The band is the Red Hot Chili Peppers. The song is Breaking the Girl. We'll hear a little bit of that, followed by Jimi Hendrix, Manic Depression. Now here's another Metallica example, followed by a group you would not expect them to borrow from, King Crimson. came out in the late 60s that's Court of the Crimson King which reminds me all due respect to Black Sabbath I think King Crimson deserves a bit more credit for helping launch the sound of heavy metal oh and of course the Metallica song was the call of Cthulhu now here's one more example concerning Metallica I have to think this must be some coincidence but I'm not sure the late guitarist Johnny Smith was like a jazz guitarist jazz guitarist active in the 50s and 60s. Now, again, there's probably no connection here, but I was recently listening to a Johnny Smith album, and I heard this melody that reminded me of Metallica. Interesting, right? What's going on there? All right, let's move on to an example where I think the connection is pretty obvious. The source material is Yes, the later incarnation of Yes, Yes 2.0. And uh, 10 years later, the Scorpions came out with this song. Wise men said, just walk this way to the dawn of the light. Now, the next example is a pairing I remember from the time I was like 12 or 13 hearing these songs on the radio. Uh, thanks to Kirsten Cluthy, our own Kirsten Cluthy from Osiris, for uh, reminding me of these songs. I'd forgotten all about this. This is one of my earliest recognitions of borrowed music. These songs were both in rotation pretty much at the same time. And I thought, 
gosh, they sound alike. The first example is from an artist who was sort of a one-hit wonder of the early 80s. I'm surprised this song became such a hit because it sounded so much like the other song. So the first song is called Fantasy. The second one is by a later version of the Jefferson Airplane. By that time, they were called the Jefferson Starship. And it came out in 1979, and it's called Jane. Even the guitar solos in these songs sound almost alike. Check it out. They even both start with... (laughs) Now, this next one is not in my wheelhouse at all. But it's interesting. Uh, Both of these examples fall under the category of easy listening, and they come to us courtesy of Marnie, who goes by at Fuzzy Tomato on Twitter. And uh, the first example is by Air Supply, and the second one is far more recent from the 2000s, and it's by Josh Groban. So as long as we're on the subject of easy listening, these next two artists are ones that I actually do listen to, but I wasn't aware of the similarity between these two songs until I was playing one of them on the piano and somebody walked by and thought I was playing the other song. (laughs) So they came out a year apart. The first is Todd Rundgren and the second is the one that came out before by about a year by Carole King. So now to shift gears completely, one of the artists I've talked about the most on this podcast is no doubt Eddie Van Halen. And Van Halen's music sounded so original, but occasionally you could find his influences, as we've done from time to time. So uh, here's one such example. The first one is uh, Van Halen dancing in the streets. And the second is the keyboard part for Jeff Beck's tune, played by Jan Hammer, called Star Cycle. Now here's another instrumental example by a very current group, Krungbin, if I'm saying that right, I'm not sure. I really like the band, by the way, especially Laura Lee's bass playing. 
I could not help but notice a slight similarity between a 1970s classic by Steve Miller. Take a listen to the bass and drum patterns along with the tempo. The Krungbin tune is called Two Fish and an Elephant, and the Steve Miller tune is called The Joker. Now, I first heard about Krungbin from Karina Reichman. Karina is a great friend and a true rising star. If you have not heard of her, chances are you will. And uh, you should check her out if not. But Karina brings us this next example. And it's a real interesting one. Let me explain. There is a song by Fish called Tweezer. I actually know this song. I am not exactly a fish follower like some friends of mine, especially in the Osiris ecosystem, but I do like the band, and I have the album that that song is on. It's called A Picture of Nectar. It's a really good album. So Karina pointed out that the main guitar line to Tweezer by Fish has a similarity to a song called Projects in the Jungle by Pantera. Now, this was Pantera when they were still sort of a glam band, wearing leopard and zebra patterns, <laughs> very different than the image they would have later. Here's Fish and Pantera back to back. <laughs> Interesting, right? You do kind of have to listen for it. I hear it. But uh, Karina is one of the few who has actually played both songs, so she can attest to the similarity. It's hard to imagine Fish being influenced by glam-era Pantera. I guess anything's possible, but it may be a total coincidence. Either way, this tune, Projects in the Jungle, got me thinking about another song, especially when you consider the vocal pattern. Check out the chorus of the song. So what do you have? You have a jungle beat. You got this vocal pattern. Dun, 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 the jungle. And I think you probably see where I'm going here. That's just one step removed from welcome to the jungle. Welcome to the jungle. We got fun and games. We got everything you want. How do we know the names we Is it possible that welcome to the jungle was inspired by projects in the jungle, which came out a few years before? Now, you have to keep a few things in mind. Pantera did not burst onto the scene with vulgar display of power, contrary to popular belief. They'd been kicking around a long time. Obviously, they had not found their sound yet. They certainly had not found their image yet. That would all change. But they had several albums out, and it seems entirely possible that an upstart group like Guns N' Roses that didn't have a record deal yet was paying attention to other groups that were on the glam track as Pantera was. Maybe they got inspired. Who knows? Here's another Guns N' Roses example. Um, if you ever hear the song The Year of the Cat by Al Stewart, there are two versions, right? There's a radio edit, which is short, and then the album version has this extended instrumental section. And I couldn't help but notice a similarity between the guitar solo and uh, Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses, especially the guitar tone and the tempo and the key. 
So uh, check it out. Here's a little bit of Slash playing on Sweet Child of Mine, followed by a few licks from the extended version of Year of the Cat by Al Stewart. Now let's get back to Van Halen for a moment. The previous example probably wasn't that much of a surprise. Of course, Eddie Van Halen would have been checking out Jeff Beck, and no shocker that he might have been inspired to write a riff based on what he was hearing from a Jeff Beck album. But Devo? (laughs) Check it out. Obviously, that was Why Can't This Be Love by Van Halen with Sammy Hagar, followed by uh, Just the Girl You Want by Devo. Now, Eddie Van Halen is far from the only guitar player to spin a riff out of a part played by other instruments. Here's Chuck Berry, Roll Over Beethoven, followed by what I believe is the source, Benny Goodman, Airmail Special with Charlie Christian on guitar. Of course, Chuck Berry's signature song, Johnny Be Good, has a very similar guitar intro. And this brings up an interesting point. I remember hearing that John Bonham's intro to Rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin was based on that Chuck Berry lick. It kind of blew my mind. Now, it could be hard to hear that at first, but when it's explained to you how to count it, it makes sense. And now, thanks to somebody on YouTube, you can hear Chuck Berry's lick superimposed over that John Bonham intro. Now, here's another surprising one. You probably remember the song Crazy by Gnarls Barkley. It was a massive hit uh, from about 12 years ago or so. And believe it or not, that song is based on the theme from a spaghetti western from the 60s. Uh, this film is called uh, Preparati la Barra. I haven't seen it. I am planning to. And it starred Terrence Hill. I have to thank a great photographer who's on Instagram. His handle is at Candy to Man. He's the one who posted this information. So uh, check out Crazy by Gnarls Barkley and listen to the strings in the background and then listen to the theme from Preparati la Barra.
How interesting, right? Now, from what I can tell, CeeLo Green did not try to hide the fact that he borrowed this music. In fact, uh, I think he was very upfront about it. It just uh, wasn't obvious because it's not a well-known theme. It's not like a Clint Eastwood spaghetti western scored by Morricone. It's a much more obscure film. And the composers are two brothers, the last name uh, Reva Rarity. Um, I am not familiar with them, but I'm going to check them out. And I just did a quick glance and realized that Gnarls Barkley Crazy actually came out 17 years ago in 2006. So if you'll pardon the pun, that is crazy. Let's wrap this up with two final examples. In both cases, I realized these musical connections while doing tribute episodes on this podcast. The first is from our tribute episode to Peter Green. I noticed that the melody to the tune Albatross by the original Fleetwood Mac with Peter Green had a similarity to a tune I grew up hearing done by Kiss. If never I met you, I'd never have seen you cry. Now, of course, it was the Kiss tune that came later. It's called Hard Luck Woman, and it was sung by the drummer, Peter Chris. And this brings us to our final example for this episode. Uh, this is one you may have heard me reference if you heard the latest tribute episode to Jeff Beck. That episode has an extended segment on the song Superstition. In that episode, I mentioned that the version of Stevie Wonder's Superstition, as recorded by Beck Bogart, a piece, has an eerie similarity to a later tune by one Lenny Kravitz. So let's check out the opening of the Lenny Kravitz song. It's called Always on the Run, and that's going to be followed by Beck Bogart, a piece doing Superstition. Pay special attention to the guitar riff and the drum fill. And that wraps up another episode of Moods and Modes. Boy, I sounded tired on those last few examples. Forgive me. Uh, those were done at about 2.30 in the morning in a hotel room after a long rehearsal. But we are making these episodes happen no matter what we have to do. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I have a feeling it's not the last time you will be hearing examples of borrowed music. Moods and Modes is presented by Osiris Media, hosted and produced by yours truly, Alex Skolnick. Osiris production by Kirsten Cluthy and Matt Dwyer. Opening and closing music by Alex Skolnick, here joined by Matt Zabrowski and Nathan Peck. Artwork by Mark Dowd. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. If you want to support the podcast directly, go to patreon.com slash Alex Of course, you can support the podcast in many ways. Tell friends, blog about it, leave us a review. 
But most important, hit follow on the podcast app if you haven't. We don't want you to miss an episode. Which reminds me, I just got really cool news about some exciting guests that are going to be joining us in the near future. So you all make this happen. Thank you so much. And thank you for putting up with my schedule. It's getting crazy out there, but we're making it happen. Oh, and just one more final thought on borrowed music. I've got nothing against it. I do it. We all do it. But just don't be lazy about it. That is it. Episode 39 is done. You know what that means. The next episode is our 40th, our big 4-0. I will see you on that episode. Until then, take care, be safe, and thanks again for listening. Osiris. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about the April-May 2023 issue of Relics Magazine. It features a Dave Matthews Band cover story with additional articles and interviews with The National, Graham Nash, Wayne Shorter, ALO, Ivan Neville, our friend Eric Krasno and Stanton Moore, Marty Stewart, and much more. Check out the latest version of Relics and subscribe now at relics.com slash DMB. Thanks, Relics. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.